Candlewick on Brilliant Audio presents the unabridged recording of Zora and Me by Victoria Bond and T.R. Simon, performed by Cheney Waits. Chapter One It's funny how you can be in a story, but not realize until the end that you were in one. Zora and I entered our story one Saturday, two weeks before the start of fourth grade. That Saturday, while our mamas were shopping, Zora and I were sitting under the big sweet gum tree across the road from Joe Clark's storefront, making sure we were in earshot of the chorus of men that perched on his porch. We sat under the tree, digging our feet into the rich, dark soil, inviting worms to tickle us between the toes. We pretended to be talking and playing with the spiky monkey balls that had fallen from the sweet gum branches, but we were really listening to the menfolk's stories and salty comments and filing them away to talk about later on. That's when Sonny rapped, strolled up in his Sunday suit, strutting like he owned the town and not just a pair of new pointy shoes, and calling for folks to come watch him whoop a gator. Sonny was a young welder from Sanford who had come to Eatonville to court Maisie Allard. For three weekends straight, he'd been wooing her with sweet talk and wildflowers. When he wasn't with her, he was shooting his mouth off about how tough he was. That particular day, Sonny had managed to track down the king of the gators, the biggest and oldest one in Lake Maitland, Sanford, or Eatonville. The gator's name was Ghost, and for good reason. One minute, he was sunning on a mud bank or floating in the pond, his back exposed like a twenty-foot-long banquet of rocks. The next minute, he'd have disappeared, and the pond would be as still as a wall. Anyway, Sonny got a couple dozen men to walk the short distance to Lake Hungerford to watch him wrestle the gator. Zora's father, her eldest brother Bob, and Joe Clark were among them. Nobody was thinking about the two of us, but we still had sense enough to lag behind and make ourselves invisible. Everyone stood a good ways back from the lake, close enough to see, but far enough to have time to scoot up a tree if Sonny lost control. Ghost lay still as death, but as Sonny approached, his eyes were like two slow-moving marbles. Before Sonny could jump Ghost from behind, the old gator swung his tail around and knocked Sonny off his feet. To this day, I can still see Joe Clark running towards Sonny, yelling, Roll! Roll! If Sonny could tumble out of the reach of Ghost's jaws, he might have a chance. But Sonny was too stunned to get his mind around Ghost's cunning. He gaped, wide-eyed and mute, as the gator clamped down on his arm and dragged him into the water. People began to scream. I think I remember screaming myself. One thing I remember for sure is Zora, just standing and watching without a sound, tears streaming down her face. Joe Clark is a big man, but he hesitated for a second, a grown man paying respect to his fear before diving into the water. Two other brave men, Mr. Hurston and Bertram Edges, the blacksmith, dove in a moment later. 
It took the three of them to drag Sonny back on dry ground. I'll never know how. They were bruised like prize fighters, but they were better off than Sonny, whose arm had been mangled past all recognition. Back in our homes, we chewed on silence and thought about Dr. Pritchard, awake all night trying to patch up Sonny and make him right. The next morning, Joe Clark rode to all the churches in his capacity as town marshal and gave the pastors the news. Sonny didn't make it. For two weeks after that, you would see pairs of grim men with shotguns scouring the ponds for a sign of ghost, but they found nothing. In the days that followed, Zora's father said it wasn't fitting to talk about what had happened to Sonny in front of women and children. Even Joe Clark.